We are going to look at a, a, a variety of passages. I called this lesson um, The Encounters at Christmas Time. And it occurs to me that we spend a fair amount of our time waiting for things in our lives. We're waiting at the doctor's office. We're, we're waiting to get our car fixed. We're, we're waiting at, in, in the line at school to pick up our kids. We're, can someone let that nice lady in? <laughs> Did she close it? Oh, well. She's waiting to get in the door. Look at that. Anyway, we spent a fair amount of our time waiting. And it occurred to me that there were at least three people in the Christmas story that are, that, are, that are waiting, only they're waiting for a sign. They're waiting for something that had to do with the Christmas story. Their focus, their attention, their, their waiting was pretty intense. And the very first one is, is what we call the Magi. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 2. Remember, your, your quiz is coming next week, by the way. But uh, the, the Bible story about Christmas time is either found in Matthew uh, chapter 2 and 3, or Luke chapters 2 and 3 and a little bit of 4. So Matthew chapter 2 is the, the first person that we're going to look at that's got an encounter at Christmas time, and it's the Magi. Ma- Matthew chapter 2, and verse number 2. The little darlings must be going to play practice. Uh, let's see. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or in in the land of Judah, rather, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's a quote out of the book of Micah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Ha, ha, ha. After they heard the king, they went to ha, 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 is in the Greek, by the way. Um, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. By the way, one of the quiz questions is in verse 10. In case you were wondering, it's an important one. Um, anyway, the the story here of the Magi, the wise men. Um, I, I want you to, to uh, consider Daniel chapter two. So leave your fingers in Matthew two, and flip back to Daniel chapter two. Now you say to yourself, "Gee, Sherry, why are we going to Daniel?" Well, the story of the prophet Daniel or the guy Daniel is a fascinating story, and I love to teach Daniel. I don't particularly like teaching the book of Revelation, but I do enjoy teaching Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 2, we get a a, a quick little snapshot of something that I want you to see. In verse number 2 of chapter 2, it says, uh, let me start with verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned, and there's four names there, magi, or excuse me, magicians, 
encounters sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to him, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want, I want to know what it means. And so then each one of the groups start to try to answer his dream. Look down at verse number 18, though. It's a little clue here. Um, in verse 17, Daniel returned to his house and he explained the, manner, uh, the matter, this interpretation of this dream, to his friends. Uh, and, and verse 18 says, He urged them to plead for mercy uh, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. With the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of this group. This is an important little piece of information. Nebuchadnezzar is looking at these guys to interpret his dream, and he, and he mentioned four particular groups. The Hartumim, uh, the uh, Asafim, the Mechashfim, and the Kajdim. Four different groups of, of wise men. And I, and I put little definitions just for your own information. The Hartumim were, were really... Uh, guys that we might call fortune tellers or dream interpreters. The, the Ashafim, they only show up in Daniel uh, in chapter 2. And the word uh, shows up also in, in Aramaic in various places in the book of Daniel. But the, 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 the article that I was quoting from said this word was loaned from another group. And it simply means magicians, people who can transform things, create things by the power of their words or voices. In, in modern Hebrew, the word is, is used to translate wizards. And then the third group, these are magicians who appear in the story uh, of, of the crocodiles in Exodus 7, and also in a couple of different places in Deuteronomy and, and uh, Second Chronicles and, and, and Malachi. The point being that all four of these words describe slightly different approaches to being able to tell a dream. Now, you've heard me tell, make, make the comment before that there's only two sources of supernatural in this world. One is God and the other is Satan. There, there isn't another. So either these guys were getting their insights into being able to actually tell future uh, events from, from Satan's crowd or from God's crowd. There's no, there's no middle ground here. What's interesting about this group is there must have been some aspects of it that God was involved in. And I, I'm, not, I'm not clear enough to be able to tell you who and when and which parts and so on. But I, but I find it fascinating that Daniel and his, and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are considered a part of this group. That's really my only point. Now, if they are considered part of the group, if, if during the time of Daniel during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar and the, the uh, kings that came afterwards, that Daniel was a part of this, of this uh, group of men who were able to do amazing things, it is very logical to think that Daniel would have influenced them. Agreed? And that in the influence of them, he would have, for example, mentioned teachings that were either right before him or contemporary with him, about things about the coming Messiah. So he's going to give them insight into the fact that God is not finished, that God is planning to send the Messiah. And among those details would have been discussions about Old Testament prophecies 
regarding a sign, the sign being a star. A star that would rise in the east would guide some to the, the, the actual child that was going to be born. So it's not a big leap that, that these wise men who actually show up in Matthew chapter 2 have been taught for, for the, the 600 years or, or more before they actually showed up about the fact that a star was going to rise in the east and, and when it was uh, accomplished, it would shine right over where the Messiah, the baby, was going to be born. So these men who show up have been influenced greatly by the teaching of Daniel for a, you know, a long, long time. It was passed down for over 600 years. So when they show up, they're not just fumbling, bumbling. There is a great bit of study you can do on this star. And I've been uh, watching Barb make these studies uh, on this particular topic. She's pretty much an expert, so if you want to ask her about it, go ask her about it afterwards. <laughs> but I didn't want to get into the star so much as into the part to say the, the Magi were waiting. They were waiting for a sign. They were waiting for a star to rise in the east. And, and during that waiting period of time, you know, what happened when a, when a comet went over? It was during one of those periods when comets were visible. And, and, and they saw the comet and they went, is that it? Is that the one? Is it, do we follow? Oh, that's kind of fast. How are we going to follow that one? Or, or there was a, a celestial something or another that occurred. Something came barreling through the, the skies and, and dumped a boatload of something in some nation to their east. And they're looking at it going, is that, is that, is that? No, can't be that. And then one day, a star arose and they went, is that, oh, yeah, it's moving slow. Load the camels, load the donkeys, let's follow. And over a, a, a four or five month period of time, which is how long it would have taken for them to leave where they were, come up over the Fertile Crescent, Tigris and Euphrates area, uh, that in that, that, that part of the world, and come up and over and down into Israel and then into the place where they ended up in Jerusalem. They went to uh, Jerusalem because the star was, was, was high enough and reflective enough that it wasn't exactly you know, where it wasn't finished yet. So they thought they'd stop by and ask you know, the government office for a little help. And they knock on Herod's door. And when they knock on Herod's door, of course, his reaction is, what? You're looking for the king? Moi! You know, he is, he's doing his little lying, cheating thing about, oh, okay, you go on, you follow it, and when you find it, you come back, because, boy, I want to worship him too. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the Magi were one of these four groups that I want you to look at today that were waiting for a sign at the holidays. They were waiting for God to show up. They were waiting for an encounter. They were waiting for something special, something unique. Let me go to the second one. Um, Go back to Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick up a second person that's doing some some waiting for a special encounter. And it's a guy by the name of Simeon. Luke chapter 2. Yeah. Would you say that the, the Magi that followed the star, are they... Were they just inspired by God's power, or was there like a certain lineage of God's power that this particular thought went through? Like, because you have four groups of different magician type, or is there another? 
I don't know. Uh, I've read quite a bit on it. I, I'm not personally convinced that we know. I think what we can infer is it's clear that Daniel influenced them. It's clear that Daniel talked about the prophecies. It's clear that they were waiting for it. It's clear that they were ready to respond. Now, whether these are a lineage of good guys going all the way back that Daniel's so influenced that they, like the Old Testament saints, were waiting for the Messiah, I don't know that I can make that. I would, I would pretty much feel that way. Otherwise, why are they doing it? What's their motive if they're not looking for the Messiah? But I think what we can say is that Daniel had all that kind of influence and that for these hundreds of years, this has been ruminating. Where, where's, where's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah? Not unlike the Jews waiting for him. That much I can say without getting out on a limb. There are historians that will go all out on, on that limb and, and tell you that these are, these are good guys who in spiritual focus were waiting that Daniel had them prepped and ready and, and, and they were ready to put their faith in the Messiah. I don't know. I would guess that, otherwise when would they go? And by the way, these, when they showed up at the door, there were not three of them. Oh, I'm giving my whole quiz away. <laughs> if there were three of them, Herod would not have been shaken in his boots. Three weird guys showing up at the door, no threat. And they would not have made that trip in that small of a group. So we're talking two, three hundred. They're well-dressed, they're well-supported, they're well-funded. You wouldn't take that kind of a trip without some money. You wouldn't have the, 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 the wherewithal to make that kind of a trek. So they're showing up in force, with money, with a story. Thus, he gets all wigged out. Okay. All right, now we're, we're looking at Simeon, chapter 2. Of Luke, so um, Jesus is going to get presented in the temple. Look at verse twenty-two. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord: every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said of the law of the Lord: a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man um, in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. So let's pause right there. The consolation of Israel. Or, or, or as you might look in verse number 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. So the consolation of Israel is, Israel's been on the short end of the stick for centuries. They have been abused, maligned, hauled off into captivity, uh, made to be servants and slaves, bottom of the, uh, the pit. Their, their anticipation of the coming king had, had, had almost got to a, a crescendo. It gets to a crescendo on what we call Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem as an adult, and they think he's now going to set up his kingdom. But prior to that, all of the nation of Israel looked forward to the time when they no longer were the bottom of the barrel. They were looking for their consolation, their, their, their prize for having endured. Uh, the word consolation, you know, like we always talk about consolation prizes. You didn't win, so we have some lovely party gifts for you, you know. It's, it's, the, it's that concept. It's the idea that in anticipation of not having to endure what they have endured for so long. And so it says, 
that he, Simeon, this devout guy, he's been hanging around. God has promised him he's not going to die until he sees the consolation of Israel. Now, let's talk about the consolation of Israel for a moment. Isaiah, let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. I had a chance to go see the Handel's Messiah or listen to the concert of Handel's Messiah, which is something I love to do at Christmas time. And this year, um, and perhaps they've done it in the past and I never paid attention to it, but in the, in the little uh, booklet they give you, they actually had the words to all the songs. And I could follow along, and it's nothing but scripture. It's 100% scripture. Um, and, and most of it comes out of passages like um, Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 53 and other places. It was, it was magnificent. When they got to the Hallelujah Chorus, I had my hand up. I was, I was worshiping. I wanted to preach so stinking bad. When they were clapping, I wanted to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want to tell you a little something. I want to explain this to you. I, I came so close. I knew they'd throw me out, though. So, oh, I wanted to. Because all those people were clapping. What are you clapping for? Let me, let me explain this to you. But I didn't. But anyway. But comfort ye my people. Uh, chapter 40, verse number 1, is definitely part of that. It says, comfort, comfort my people. It says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Speak tenderly. Let her know this time period is all but over. Comfort her. It is, it is, a, it is an instruction that there, there is coming something that was worth waiting for. Go to the book of Amos. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, one of the minor prophets. If you can find Amos chapter 9. And um, in Amos chapter 9, picks up this same concept in chapter 9, verse 11. He says, in that day, and when I was in seminary, one of my profs said, every time in your Bible when that phrase, in that day, uh, uh, occurs, certainly in the prophetic Bibles, the major prophets and the minor prophets, it's referring to the second coming. And so I went through my whole, whole thing at that time, my study Bible for seminary, and underlined every time so I would know it was a messianic passage. So this is definitely a messianic passage. In that day, what day? When the Messiah comes, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord. And he goes on from there. It is, it is the wait for the consolation. And if you go to Acts chapter 2, go to Acts chapter 2, um, and, and there is a, a prophetic passage there while, while Peter is preaching. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter, Peter's preaching, 3,000 people are going to come to know the Lord. And in the middle, he starts quoting from Joel. So if you go to Acts 2 and start at verse 17, he quotes from 17 to 21 a passage in the, in the Old Testament prophet of Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And you should draw a line right there between verse 18 and, and verse 19 because 17 and 18 have been fulfilled. When the, the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit was poured out 
and we have access now to the Holy Spirit in our lives, that part of the prophecy has all been fulfilled. But starting in verse 19, 20, and 21, not yet. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Sun will turn to darkness, moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 19, 20, and 21, not yet. But Simeon, this old man uh, in, in Acts or in the Luke 2, he, he has been promised that, that before he dies, he gets to see the fulfillment of the, of, the, of the consolation of Israel. So back to Luke 2, he says um, in verse 25, there's a man called Simeon, he's righteous and devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts around the outside of the temple. When the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, bringing the baby Jesus in, to do for him what the custom of the law was, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Let me die, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon waited. Just like every good Jew, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for God to do what he said. Now, I'm going to get to this in a moment, but I suspicion there are a number of us in this room that have been waiting for God to do a number of things in our lives. Maybe it's a salvation of a loved one, or maybe it's the return of a loved one into fellowship with you. Maybe, maybe it's a physical thing that you're waiting for it to be dealt with. Maybe there's a, a financial need. I, I want you to see that God, especially here at Christmas time, is giving us four really good examples of, of God keeping his word. Let me give you another one. This is a big one. I said four, I guess I meant three. Uh, the shepherds is the third one. In Luke chapter two, we're still there. But if you backed up a little bit, you're going to see that, that there were shepherds uh, waiting out in the area where Jesus was to be born. So we'll pick it up, um, verse 8. So she's had the baby. She's wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. So verse 8, Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. By the way, every time in the Bible when an angel shows up and has a little chat with somebody, their reaction is they are terrified. And I certainly understand that. Anyway, so they're terrified. Angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then a company of, of heavenly hosts appear in the song that we all sing at Christmas. They, they, they sang it first. Anyway, the point being is uh, the, the shepherds were told, this is a sign for you. You're going to go and you're going to find a baby. Now, I, I, I've, I've read that conservatively 200 times. I've heard it taught to me conservatively 100 times. It never, huh? From Linus. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> that too. Um, the phrase, though, that caught my eye the other night for the very first time is this shall be a sign for you. 
And I thought, sign? What sign? So I got to back up a little and give you a little bit of, of detail. And I gave it to you in the notes, but I'm going to give it to you verbally. These are not just regular run-of-the-mill dirty old shepherds whose job it was to watch the sheep. This is a classification of shepherds. This is the cream of the crop. Now, the, the, the area they're in is called Migdal Eater. It's located just outside Bethlehem. And if you go on a tour and they're not killing each other off and you can actually go into the West Bank, you'll, you'll get a chance to go to Bethlehem. I've been to Israel twice. The first time we couldn't get anywhere near Bethlehem. The second time we were able to actually go. Um, just outside of Bethlehem, there's some fields. The fields have been left as they are. They were a special place where special shepherds watched special sheep. Not regular run-of-the-mill sheep, not regular run-of-the-mill shepherds. The word migdal eater means tower of the flock. And so the shepherds that were there are the shepherds who are responsible for the very special perfect lambs that were used for offering in the temple. They weren't just regular run-of-the-mill lambs. These were the lambs, or or the young goats, it could have been either, that were of such a nature that they could be used for, for temple worship, for the Passover. Now, these shepherds were trained on how to raise these animals so that they did not get all beat up. And when uh, one of these were born, the first thing they would do is from their tower, and they were able to watch over their flocks at night, but if there was one that had a baby, they ran down from their tower, they grabbed the baby, they wrapped him tight in swaddling clothes, this little lamb, and then they would find some sort of a little trough or something to sit them in so they couldn't be running around getting dinged up because this was to be a perfect lamb that would be suitable when the priest came by to choose for the lambs to be shown, shown to be shown and to be useful for the offering of the Passover. They had to be especially cared for. You with me? So special shepherds, special sheep in a place called Migdal Eater uh, 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 definitely prophesied in the Old Testament. We don't have time today for me to walk you through all that. But the point of, of my mentioning them is that the statement in chapter 2, verse 12, this shall be a sign for you. What's the sign? The sign is it's not a lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's a baby. Now, they've seen hundreds of lambs wrapped in swaddling clothes. They've seen maybe thousands of animals that were wrapped properly and put in a manger in their area, kept and ready for the Passover. But this particular night, there was something they were waiting for. There was a sign, and the sign was the baby would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, and a baby would be laying in a manger. And that baby was the Messiah that they had been anticipating. Isn't that amazing? Now, you know, 700 years have passed since Micah foretold, first off in chapter 5, that the baby would be born in, in, uh, in Bethlehem. But in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, And you, O tower of the flock, Migdal Eater, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the form of dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Yes, the Messiah is going to be born on your watch. By your lambs, there is a sign, and the sign is not a lamb. The sign is the birth of the Messiah. 
That was the sign. A sign to the shepherds, just as the angel had proclaimed. And so it's no wonder that the shepherds get all wigged out. You know, when the angel says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause you great joy, or will cause great joy for all the people today, in, in, uh, in the town of David, a Savior will be born to you. He is the Messiah. This is the sign. And you can just see him. What? What sign? What? What? What are, what are we looking for? And then he tells them. You will find a baby, not a, not a lamb, not a baby goat, wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly the heavens open up, and, and there's a heavenly host, which just means thousands and thousands. So thousands and thousands of an, angels appear, praising God and singing glory to God in the highest in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I mean, verse 15 says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, so what do you think they're going to say? Let me pause. So they've had this message. They've been told about a sign. Heavens open up. Thousands of angels sing. Angels go away. Now what are the, what are, what are the shepherds going to say to each other? Wow, that was interesting. <laughs> well, that was better than Netflix. Well, that woke me up. What? What do you think they're going to say? <laughs> Here's what they say, verse 15. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. No, kidding. I mean, they hurried off, and they found exactly the sign that they had been waiting for. They found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And it was the Messiah. Um, I, I again am saying to you, when we are in waiting periods, it's less than fun, and and sometimes we we start to ask God for signs. We get a little weary, and I want to give you a caution here before I talk about signs. Signs in the Bible are iffy you know we don't we don't get to treat God like a vending machine I want Reese's peanut butters E6 put my money in where's my Reese's peanut butter cups that's not how God is now we have we have stories like Gideon who laid out a sign if you're not familiar with him go read about Gideon but, but God was trying to teach Gideon something. He wasn't, Gideon wasn't E6ing God. He wasn't treating God like a vending machine. Hezekiah asks for a sign in Isaiah. And again, God allows it for a specific purpose. We have to be careful to not demand of God. I've been praying for two weeks, and I expect an answer. Put my money in, E6, where's my... Reese's peanut butter cups. We have to be careful. But I do think that when when our heart is expectant and our focus is on God, which was certainly the case of all these, these three guys I gave you today, when, when we are anticipating and looking for and wanting God to do something in our lives, it, it is not a bad thing to, to be a little expectant, to, to be a little noticeable. To, to be looking, to be anticipating. Now, God doesn't always do what I want. He doesn't always answer my prayers the way I want him to answer them. He always answers. Sometimes I'm disappointed in his choice, and I don't control him. 
But I do think that, that when we are needing an encounter with the Almighty God, that, that, that sometimes, yeah, looking around ain't a bad thing. And I put down one, for example, uh, it might be during a holiday season when things are difficult for people. We might be looking for a sign that God does really love us, really does forgive us, and really does cherish us. It might be a time when, when things are a little darker than normal. Things are not quite what they should be. I, I talked last week about the whole issue of expectations and, and competition, and, and it can put a cloud over you. I don't know if you follow me on Facebook, but did any of you see my, my, our Christmas tree? Did you look on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. Donna did. What did you think, Nicole? I thought it was great. It's a little, a little Charlie Brownish, don't you think? <laughs> Barbara said he needed someone to take him home. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's pretty sad. He, it's a sad tree. You know, for for us, <laughs> she's looking it up on Facebook. It's worth it. It's bad. Um, it's not that bad. <laughs> It is true, though, that during Christmas time, the whole comparison thing, I really wanted to give my husband, our children, whatever. We really wanted to go away. We really wanted, we thought maybe God was going to allow us, whatever. The, the list can get pretty whatever. And, and maybe you're looking for a sign that God really is active in your life and that he really does love you and forgive you and cherish you and all of those things. I, I have a quote on my desk at home. I... I found it probably a year ago now, and I've never moved it off my desk. It was a professor at Biola, and, and this is what he said. He said, Jesus, his lungs filling with fluid, his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth, is singing over you. In reference to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. That even at that moment in his crucifixion, he had you or me in his mind. That is an amazing thought. If you're looking for a sign that God really does love you, open your eyes. And I'm going to tell you in a moment a very specific way to, to seek out that sign. But you might be, you know, somebody that, that whatever season of life you're in, you're looking for a sign not so much for your own uh, encouragement or support, but you're looking for a sign of, of healing. Maybe healing in a marriage. Um, uh, I was reading some statistics not too long ago about marriages, especially in, in our culture. It is, it is discouraging to think about how much damage and difficulty there is in, in modern-day marriages, how long they last, how, how little real, true, lasting love is, all that stuff. You, there might be uh, the need for the healing in a, in a relationship. Um, had lunch with a friend yesterday, and he was talking about healing within, you know, the the family, the the children, and and one of the parents, uh, or maybe just plain old ordinary healing in your body. You know, I, I found Psalm eighty-one verse ten. It says, "I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt," which is just a, a picture of where all the bad stuff is. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. I couldn't help but think of when I. When I squirt uh, whipped cream in kids' mouth. Yeah, I'm famous for that here at Stony Brook. But I'll get a can of whipped cream and go in the classroom and get them to open their mouth and just... <laughs> I do it at home when I, can't, when I don't get caught. But um, isn't that that picture? Open your mouth and I will fill it. 
You'll never squirt out whipped cream again without thinking that verse. <laughs> That's really what God wants to do in all the situations that require healing. He wants to fill them up. Maybe, maybe you're waiting, waiting for an encounter or that kind of thing. Or maybe, or maybe um, you're looking for a sign that God will show up and just let you know he's there. Um, Ephesians 3.20, I put on the top of that note, Now to him who is able to immeasurably do more than we ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know, in Psalm 139, one of my all-time favorite psalms, you know, to, to let us know that God is there, turn to Psalm 139, will you? It's worthy of a look. Psalm 139. When I had my last knee surgery, number five, and uh, I was stuck at home one day and feeling very sad, sad and very selfish and very whiny and all that stuff, you know. And um, I, I literally asked God for a sign that he was still interested in me. I, I, I was laying there in my room. I have two windows in my room that open up to the, to the top. And uh, I, I was sitting there, you know, just doing my, this is awful, this is terrible, I didn't want to do it, I, I made myself do it, now it's awful, I'm never going to be the same again, it's awful, awful, awful. And, and um, I, said, I said to the Lord, and I know better, but I said to the Lord, I need a sign that you're really interested in me personally. Right now, I, right now I want a Butterfinger or whatever. <laughs> not a good thing to do, I'm not recommending this as a spiritual pattern. I'm just telling you in my sinful condition I did it. And all of a sudden, about three birds showed up out of the tree, out of one of my windows, and started chirping wildly to each other. And I was watching the birds chirp, and I started laughing. And I said, okay, God, I get it. The birds showed up. They're making noise. They're laughing at me. You're laughing at me. I get it. I'll laugh, too. And then for months, every time I heard a bird, I would say to myself, yeah, I know. I know you're here. I know you're part of my life. I know you didn't go away. I know. I get it. I get it. I still do it when I hear birds making noise. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting to you that, that, that God is at my beckoning and he sent three birds just because I demanded it. But I am saying that he does do things to remind us of his presence. And Psalm 139 is an incredible psalm on that topic. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon him. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Those are rhetorical questions. The answer is nowhere. He says, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me, nah, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are, are, are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. And I'll just stop right there. God is interested in letting you know 
that he is here, that he is he is he is he is intimately familiar with everything about us, never leaves us and never forsakes us. Now we we might like him to um, provide signs a little more uh, in, in, in our in our genre. We want, we might want to specify. Gee, Lord, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here thinking, and if a bird shows up, then I'm gonna know you're really a part of my life. That would be pretty stupid, but that's the kind of idea. You know, Isaiah, or excuse me, uh, uh, Elijah, he he wanted a sign from the Lord in First Kings. And, and the Lord, the, the, the story goes that, that an earthquake came through and the Lord wasn't in that. And then a fire came through and the Lord wasn't in that. And then the Lord showed up in a gentle whisper. It doesn't always show up the way we want it. It isn't always packaged the way we want it. It isn't always timed exactly the way we want it. But I guarantee you that God will let you know that he is still prevalent in your life and and here's here's my bottom line to all this these three guys they were waiting for signs and god came through in in unbelievable ways related to the birth of jesus but when when you and i are are doing the gee lord are you still here gee lord i've been waiting for the answer to this prayer for a long time i've been praying for my my brother or my mother or my child. I've been waiting for this, this, this reprieve on this physical thing or I've been looking for our marriage to have a different uh, feel to it than it does now. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. We have to be careful to not get bitter while the waiting occurs. And one of the ways to make sure that we can wait with God is to make sure that we're in his word. And that's what I put at the end of your notes. I said, for example, if you're needing a sign that God really does love you, that he really is passionate about you, if you're feeling a little on the lonely side and it doesn't look like you're God's favorite kid, then I'm suggesting that you read and you study and you meditate and you memorize passages of scripture like, and here's one for you, 1 John 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the, the children of God. The King James Version I like so much, that's the one I memorized. Behold. That word behold means fix your eyes. You know, when you say to your kid, look at me, look at me. That's the word behold. <laughs> behold. Behold. <laughs> you know, and that's what God's saying. Behold. Eyes, let's have eyes. You and me, Sherry. Eyes. I got your attention. Behold, what manner of love. What is the love like? What manner does that love take that I should be called one of his kids? It's kind of hard to be whining when you start meditating on scripture like that. Or if you're needing a sign that God is still in the healing business. So I want you to read and study and meditate and and memorize scriptures like Jeremiah 17. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. And sometimes we have to remember that healing doesn't take the form we want it. One of the gals uh, this past Sunday, or I guess at a women's thing, 
was talking about being in a uh, in a group with other women who had cancer, and she mentioned Melissa and Debbie Owens. And she said all of them were praying to be healed, and Melissa and Debbie got uh, got healed. Now, Melissa and Debbie didn't get healed the way I wanted them to get healed. I wanted Debbie sitting right there. If you didn't know her, she used to do our music. I, I don't... I, I, when I said, Lord, heal Debbie, I meant take the cancer away and give her another 50 years while I'm around. But this woman had enough insight into God's character to say unequivocally that God had healed her. And he did. He took her home. You don't think for one second Debbie wants to come back here, do you? Not for a nanosecond. So be careful when, when we pray this, heal me, Lord, that we're not so definitive that it, and, and this is what I mean by that, E6. You may have another kind of healing in mind. But by reading and studying and meditating and mulling over God's word, that sign we're looking for is, is answered. And then needing a sign that God will indeed show up at the right time, read and study and meditate and memorize scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 which is a passage about his, his return. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The other night when they were, were playing the trumpet during the Hallelujah Chorus, that's all I could think about. We only had two stinking trumpets. I, we need 50 trumpets, 100 trumpets. We need French horns. We need more horns. I'm convinced in heaven the orchestra is going to be mostly horns. Barb thinks it's going to be mostly harps, but no, no, <laughs> violins. I want trumpets. I want, I want horns. You know, that if, if I'm a little stuck in, gee, this life is a little tough, I need to be reminded, I need a little sign that God isn't done yet, that his return is not completed yet. He came as a baby. When you think about the Advent calendars that we all have and we're working through and the kids get to eat the chocolate or whatever of the one at your house, the real focus of the Advent calendar is not so much the coming of the child the first time, but the coming of the child the second time. It's his return. It's not about him coming as a baby. It's it's about him coming and stomping his foot on the Mount of Olives and making things right. So if you're feeling a little <laughs> needing an encounter, needing a sign, needing a, a moment with the Lord, start thinking about his return. Get your nose out of the, of the dirt. Lift up your head. Look a little. I'm getting in a terrible habit of walking with my head down. My surgeon the other day said, pull your head up, pull your head up. He's right. Spiritually, he's right too. Because I, I get focused like this in my life. It's this, this event, this whatever, this need, this whatever. No, 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 no. Get your head up. That Advent thing we've been talking about and the candles that we light and the whatever, his coming had part A and part B. Part A we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks. Part B we got to be thinking about. we got to be talking about it. When a friend is struggling, you need to remind them this is not all there is. We're still waiting for part B. And it's going to be glorious. These guys were all waiting for A. We get to wait for B. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord, there are times, especially during the holidays, when we we need a little extra nudge from you. We need a little sign. And by that I mean we just need some encouragement that you're there. Some some Something that makes us stop. Maybe smile. Maybe cry. Maybe chuckle. That you're still at work. That you came the first time, but it's not over. That you are interested in reminding us of how loved we are. You are interested in healing those things in our lives that need healing. And Father, that you are affirming your return. We wait with expectation. Help us to remind ourselves and everyone around us of that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.